0: Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. If I didn't get a chance to say hi to you out in the lobby, um, my name is Harold and I'm the campus pastor here. It's good to have you all here. I want to thank uh, those that have been helping get things ready for Christmas. So we've got our trees planted and put some miracle Grow right up. So uh, that's awesome. Appreciate that. And hopefully you guys will be here for our services, Christmas services, invite people. It'd be great to see every service like this full. That would be awesome. Five services of people this whole. I like it. You don't, but I do. Uh, <clears throat> you guys be like, yes, we should do. <laughs> yeah. Forget it. Um, so anyway, and just also one little note about Kalahari. Some of you have graciously offered to um, provide some scholarships for some of our students. And so for those who have done that, thank you. Uh, and we just encourage you, if you could get that uh, into the church office, by uh, next Sunday, that would be very helpful as we kind of get things all pulled together because Kalahari is in January. You can just take one of these offering envelopes, uh, mark it as Fuse Kalahari, and uh, they'll make sure they get it to the right right spot. So thank you very much for you who are doing that. Well, last week, I made the statement that out of all the people who have made an impact in your life, Jesus Christ is the one who has probably made the greatest impact in your life. In my life, why do I say that? Well, because all of history, including your history and mine, is all gauged on or based off of Jesus Christ. So you have BC, before Christ, right? You have AD, after Christ. It's anno domini, I know, but we just say after Christ to make it easy. Who wants to talk Latin? Um, you also have uh, now you have the BCE, which is before Common Era, and CE, which is the Common Era which they tried to do to try to get away from using Jesus' name. The problem is they still base it off of Jesus' life. Um, so, those, so that's huge, right? So that's kind of made a big impact in your life. <clears throat> the other thing that's probably made a huge impact in all of our lives is the fact that especially we are in the Western civilization in the United States is the change in how people viewed different individuals. So <clears throat> before Christ, uh, children and women... Uh, The poor, slaves, were all considered property. So those that had the power and the wealth controlled what everybody else did, and they saw these different individuals as property, and they dealt with them as property. After Christ, when Jesus came, and then as the church grew, this whole idea of, wow, we're all created in the image of God. We're all equal before God. Children... Women, uh, the poor, and, and slavery, <clears throat> I mean, that was because of Christianity. Slavery was gotten out of the way. And within a hundred years, our country was able to get rid of that awful thing. There's still slavery in the world today. There's always been slavery in the world. There's still slavery going on today. Um, but Christianity, and even those <clears throat> that are, like, for instance, uh, uh, human trafficking, which is a nice way of saying sex slaves. No, Christians are at the forefront of that, trying to stop that. So always with Christianity, with with Christ, because of Christ, these things have changed in society, especially those who have adopted Christian morals and values. I know we get blamed for a lot of things, but really, we should be getting a lot of the credit. And when you think about it this way, too, this is just a little free advice. Um, or some thoughts. It's because Christianity that we have this value for human beings, that we care about those who are sick, that we care about those who are weak in some way, whether it's, you know, financially or physically or mentally or whatever. We care. Society cares, right? COVID. We care. Wherever you stand on it, we still care that people get COVID. We still care that people are dying because of it. Thankful for the fact that it's a, Still a 99% recovery rate. Thank the Lord for that. But we care. Why do we care? Why do, here's the question, why do scientists and political people who are evolutionists care? Because the core of evolution is survival of the fit. So a, a true evolutionist would be saying, well, just let them die. Because then our, the human species becomes stronger if the weak are gone. That's what evolution is. That's what the vast majority of scientists believe. There's a lot of Christian scientists out there as well, but that's, a, that's what things... Have. So as you're talking with people, you know, it's a good conversation to have. Again, this is just free advice. Good conversation to have. Where did the morality come from? Where did the compassion for the weak come from? It didn't come from evolution. It wasn't born into evolution. It was something that came from God because we believe... That God created. We believe that God's compassionate. We believe that God came in the flesh, Jesus Christ. But the main point of last week, moving forward, the main point of last week is even better than all that, and that is the fact that with Christ came this change in our spiritual condition. Because the Bible tells us that before Christ, God sees us as spiritually dead that we have no spiritual life, no matter what we think, no matter what we feel, no matter how often we pray, no matter how often we attend church, no matter how often we try to be good, if we haven't gotten this sin issue between us and God figured out and taken care of by God, then God sees us, and he's the important one, to, or his perspective that matters, it's his heaven, God sees us spiritually dead. But after Christ, the reason why... He came. Was that we have the potential for spiritual life. If we're willing to believe what God says, He'll give us spiritual life. He'll give us an eternity in heaven with Him. And that's an awesome gift. That's a gift that everybody should have the opportunity to receive. Today we want to look at another uh, huge impact that Christ made on this earth. Before Christ literally, in this sense, in the sense of the the Old Testament, and even people today, and maybe even some of us in this room this morning, God seemed unapproachable. That there was just something about God that he was just, he was up there, he was awesome and powerful, and man couldn't come into his presence. Man couldn't have a relationship with him. Man was afraid of him. But after Christ... God really shows himself to be approachable. See, there was a, a massive change that took place on this earth when Jesus Christ showed up. Because for the first time ever, the God of the universe became man. Now, you may think, well, the other religions had that, I and mean, you're right. So these other man made religions. <clears throat> um, you know, those in the Old Testament or around um, Israel and those after even, like with the Roman mythology or Greek mythology or Norse mythology, you know, Thor, whoo, right? Hammer. They all took on, their gods all took on human form. But they weren't human. They sinned like humans. <laughs> but they these man-made religions, they just gave them human form so they could interact and so they could... Identify with them. Sadly, they all had sin involved. But the one true God, because see, there's not a bunch of little gods. There's not a, all these other things are man-made ideas. The one true God didn't just take on human form. He became human. He became a man. 100% God, 100% human, minus the sin. Obviously, God wants us to know that he's approachable. Why else would he come in a baby? Right, a baby of all things. How does the immense God pour himself into a baby? So why is it that Israel and really a lot of people today, and like I said, even some of us maybe here in this room, why is it then that we still see God as unapproachable? What? What's going on there that would cause us to miss the whole point of this approachable God who comes in human form? Well, it could be that every time in the Old Testament, every time God showed up, <clears throat> he showed up in such a way it's, it scared the sandals off these people. This, this was a, a fierce, ominous presence when God showed up. Now, we know that we can't see God. God is spirit, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But God, the Father, is spirit. So we can't see him. But when he showed up, things happened so that people could know that this was his presence. And and these things um, that could be seen and, and heard and felt, they were there for a reason, which we'll talk about in a second. But here's one of the great examples, one of my favorite examples, starting in Exodus 19. And... Um, Then I'm going to jump into for a verse in Exodus 20. So Israel has been released from slavery in Egypt by God. God did some incredible miracles. Moses, he uses Moses to kind of lead in that. So they're out, they're out into the wilderness. And he says this, Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. Can you imagine being those people standing around that mountain and seeing that happen. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. The Lord, God, uh, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And all the people were like, no, Moses, don't go up there. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down, warn the people so they do not break through to the Lord to gaze and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, or else the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it, kind of set it apart. Then the Lord said to him, Go down, and then come up again, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break forth upon them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. All the people perceived, so now this is chapter 20, after all this, the Ten Commandments happened, all that kind of stuff. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. So what is going on in this situation? Well, let me just kind of step back, a big step backwards. The overriding purpose of the Bible, and really of God, his overriding purpose is to reveal himself. There's no other reason why he created this world than for us to know who he is. Because he could have just continued to exist in and of himself, didn't need anybody, he was perfect, all, you know, he didn't have any needs because that would be imperfection. So he didn't need to create, but he chose to because he wanted to reveal himself to those that he created, to us. He's created this, this beautiful nature that we have, even though it's a sinful world now, it's still beautiful in a lot of aspects. So God wants to reveal himself. The Bible is all about him revealing himself. From Genesis to Revelation it's about him showing us who he is, What kind of awesome God he is. And he's revealing who he is, not who we want him to be or think he should be. He's revealing who he is. We call this progressive revelation. So, for instance, Abraham knew some things about God. Moses knew more than Abraham. King David knew more than Moses and Abraham. The apostles knew more about who God was than David or Moses or Abraham. And so as progressive revelation, God continues to reveal a little bit more and more about who he is. And so he's doing this over time. So as he rescues Israel, now he's revealing himself in a new way, in the sense that he's going to be a, a, a God of a certain nation even, a personal God with them. And so he says to, to Moses, hey, I want to be... If Israel, Israel would have me, I want to be their personal God. And if they would have me, I've you know, got some things for them. So Moses goes down and asks them, hey, you know, God wants to be our personal God. What do you think? And they're thinking about all the stuff he had done. They're like, man, it works for us. He just got us out of slavery. This is awesome. So yeah, we want him as our personal God. So then God reveals some things about himself. He, he reveals to them his personal name. It's Yahweh. At least that's how we pronounce it. No one's really sure how to pronounce it. There's no vowels in ancient Hebrew, so it's Y W H W. So we just kind of say Yahweh, and, and again Y H W Y. Sorry, um, it, it, but we know from Exodus it means "I am." So God's saying, "I am. I am the self-existing one. I am the one who has always existed, will always exist." I exist within who I am. In other words, I am complete within who I am. I don't need anybody. I got everything I need within myself. All other gods and religions are just man's figment of his imagination. Because there's only one true God, and it's the God of the Bible. And that's what God's claiming to be. And then God gave them some unconditional promises and some conditional promises. So they're in this relationship with God, and God's saying, listen, no matter how you respond to me, because we've made this initial relationship, through you I'm going to bless the world, the nations. It started with Abraham, it continued with Israel. And that blessing we know now is God the Son putting on flesh and coming to earth as Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ was born into a Jewish family. To die not just for the sins of the Jewish people, but to die for the sins of all people. So in that we're gonna have this massive blessing because of the Jewish nation. Some people wonder why do people support the Jewish nation so much. Well, that's one reason. Because <laughs> God sees them as a special in a special relationship with him. Then he gives a conditional relation or conditional promise, and he says this. Hey, if you guys do life the way I say you should do it, which, by the way, is the best way to do life because God is the one who created life and understands what the best way is to do life. If you do life my way and for my purposes and accomplish my mission, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you everything you need to accomplish that. If you stop doing that, if you start doing life your way and you want to continue to destroy your life your your way because that's what happens when we do life our way, we end up destroying it, I'm not going to give you what you need except for a discipline. Kind of like a good parent would do with the child who disobeys, right? We discipline our children, right? Okay, let's make sure we are. Because we don't want to have adults who are spoiled brats, because that's the worst scary thing in the world. I've seen it. Anyways, moving forward. But God is a good father, so he's going to discipline. And what he's going to do is he's going to discipline them to hopefully bring them back to doing life his way, for his purposes, for his mission, so he can continue to bless them. Because God's not going to bless us with things that are going to destroy us or help destroy us. He's only going to bless us with things that are going to bring us life and grow. So up to this point, Israel has seen God do some incredible stuff. You will have to read it for yourself, but God does some incredible miracles, shows himself to be an incredibly powerful God, defeating all the supposed gods of Egypt. And so this picture of him kind of sticks in Israel's mind and has stuck in the minds of, people today, that God is a scary God. Because when he shows up like he did here in Exodus, it's on a whole other level. So God shows up in thunder and lightning, fire an earthquake. It's just rumbling as he talks. And throughout the Old Testament, he's he's revealing himself in this way. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see time and time again, whenever he shows up, or whenever people are talking about who he is, they reference this kind of thing. But here's the deal. Even after Jesus, this is how he's described. Look what it says in Revelation. So this is John, the apostle John, after Jesus Christ is gone. John, the apostle, he's seeing into our future even at this point, And he sees the throne room of God. And it says, from, out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of burning, uh, fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. So this is John seeing into the throne of God. We don't quite understand all of it, and us guys on Thursday nights, the men's Bible study, we're going through Revelation and kind of having our minds blown and is about what is going to be happening in the future and just what it looks like evidently, and from John's perspective as to what heaven looks like. The key point there is the fact that Still today. And when we eventually get to heaven, when we see the presence of God, that's what we're going to see. Because in the presence of God, there's this power. Awesome power. In other words, there isn't a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. So there's some who argue there's a God of the Old Testament. He's a God of judgment, he's fierce, he's angry. He kills people just at a whim, just wipes them out. Nothing saying that for thousands of years these people disobeyed him and there's judgment that he can do because he's God, but whatever the case, they just see God as a a God of judgment in the Old Testament. But then in the New Testament, there's this God of love. As if Jesus never spoke against sin. As if Jesus never said, hey, there's going to be judgment for sin, but it's God of love. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a God of judgment, and he is a God of love. The reason for that is because God has operated in different ways at different times. Still the same God. In fact, in the Old Testament, there are demonstrations of God's grace, his mercy, his love, in the New Testament, there's a demonstration of his judgment against sin. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1 verses one and 2, this is this idea that God who works. He's the same God, but he works in different ways in different times. He said, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, and that just basically means in the Old Testament, he spoke through miracles, he spoke through dreams, he spoke through visions, sometimes he spoke verbally right to somebody. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son. So in the last days, he's talking about since Jesus came, he spoke to us through Jesus Christ, God the Son, also through his word, the Bible, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Jesus, God the Son, was the word that was spoken that created this world. So why does he he do this? Why is he showing himself in this way in the Old Testament? What's with the thunder and the lightning and the fire and the earthquake? Well, God in the Old Testament, again, he's revealing himself, right, progressively. And so in the Old Testament, even though he did all these other things, the love and mercy, what he's trying to get people to focus in on, Israel and everybody else, including us, is that he is a, a God that is awesome. That he is a God that is powerful, that he is a God who has a standard of perfection that nobody can ever attain. And to step into his presence, to try to do that, because of our sin, we would end up dying. We can't enter God's presence if we have sin in our lives in the sense of of who we are. Again, last week we talked about the fact that we're spiritually dead. And so he's trying to get across that, number one, God's holy. We've talked about this quite a bit. God is holy. That, that means he is separate from, from mankind. He is perfectly sinless. There is no sin in him. He's infinitely pure. Infinitely holy. Completely separate. As opposed to us who are humans, who are infinitely sinful. Why do I say that? Because our sin is against an infinite God. And so then our sin becomes infinite. There's no way in the world we can get rid of that sin which separates us from God. We can't be in God's presence without that sin being taken care of. God is just. He's a good judge. We love good judges. We, again, talk about this quite a bit, but I think it's a great point. And if you're tired of hearing it, write it down on a piece of paper and share it with other people we want good judges, right? When people go against the law, when they break the law, we want a judge to say, no, that was wrong, and now you're going to be sentenced. And when judges don't do that, we're like, what's up with that judge? How did that judge let those people off? They committed you know, they committed a crime. Well, God is a good judge. He's just. So he's going to deal with the sin. And we want him to do that. We don't like it when it has to be, happens to be our sin. <laughs> Right, because we, yeah, you know, we speed, right? We get pulled over, we go to the court. We're kind of like, hey, Mister Lenient Judge. <laughs> the fact is that he is a good judge. He's going to judge. Again, God did show His grace. He did show His mercy and His love in the Old Testament. But He was getting across to everybody, first and foremost, that there's a sin issue that needs to be dealt with. And so people look at him and say, well, he's unapproachable because we know how sinful we are. We know how, mess, how messed up we are. And so we, we really kind of focus in on that. In fact, by the time Jesus came, the religious leaders wouldn't even pronounce or try to pronounce Yahweh, the personal name of God. So God gives them this personal name. You can call me this, but they're like, oh, no, no, you're a God of judgment. So I don't want to say it wrong. Because if I say it wrong, I'll say it in vain. And if I say it in vain, you're going to judge me. And so they wouldn't even say it. And when Jesus comes, he says, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, Heavenly Father. And they're like, what's he doing? I mean, we've used Father a couple times in the Old Testament, but you can't call God Father. This is a father that has a sense of intimacy about it. You can't call God that. And then Jesus t- takes one step forward and says, Oh, yeah, and by the way, all you who are followers of God, you can call him Father too. And that just freaked them out. Because we don't look at God that way. God is not some God of intimacy and relationship. He's a judging God. And so they they wanted to take Jesus out, which they eventually did. So Israel, like many people today, they, they see God as scary, as unapproachable. And then comes Jesus Christ. God continuing to reveal more about who he is. He steps back into time and space literally in person. No lightning, no thunder, no earthquakes. He comes as a human child. What's more approachable than a human child? Most little kids like people around them. For the most part. I mean, there's some kids that get a little crabby. And through the life of this child who grew to be a man, and through his death on the cross, we see in a more clear way that maybe the Old Testament, his love for us, his mercy, and his grace. Look how Matthew presents his arrival. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, when his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph before they came together, so in other words, before they were involved sexually, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man. Now, righteous, we got to understand something. This is, the Gospels are kind of viewing things from an Old Testament standpoint. When the Old Testament declares somebody righteous, we know from Abraham that when God says you're righteous, it means you are right with me. Okay, you are good to go with me. In other words, they've placed your faith on what God's doing in the Old Testament. And so, Joseph was considered by God a righteous man. He was good with God. And not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? What? What's with the name Jesus? Well, for he will save his people, and we know that his people is not just the Jewish people, but all people, because he's the creator of all, from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin will be with child and shall bear a son, and she shall be, or they, shall, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That's out of Isaiah, Isaiah 7. It was 700 years before Jesus was ever born. There was a prophecy made that this was going to happen, and it happened. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus. Emmanuel. God with us. God the Son became man. For 400 years, God has been silent. Nehemiah, which chronologically is the last book of the Old Testament, after that, God didn't speak again to Israel, to anybody. He was silent. And then the next thing you know it, the angels say, hey, God is here in person, literally in the flesh. Jesus Christ, 100% God, a hundred percent man. The only way he is not like us is that there is no sin in him, because he's God. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter one. It says in the Word, God, I'm sorry, John 114. I'll get to Hebrews in a second. And the Word, which is God's Son, became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father. The same glory, in other words, as God the Father, full of grace and truth. Now we see the word glory, it's another way of basically saying God's revealing himself. And so God reveals himself to us through Jesus Christ. The same glory as God, the same person as God. Now Hebrews says this, And he, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of, of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature and upholds all things by the word of God's power. So he's the, he's the radiance, kind of like the sun when we ever see it. When the sun's out, we see the radiance, right? The shining forth of the sun. And we're like, oh, that's the sun. It's the same thing with Jesus Christ. He's the radiance of God the Father. He's the one showing us who God the Father is. He's the exact representation of his nature. So all of who God is, all of his perfect attributes, everything about who God is, Jesus Christ is, because he's God. So do you want to know who God is? If you do, look at Jesus. Read about Jesus. Because Jesus is just showing us what God looks like in the flesh. Again, God of judgment, but also God of love, mercy, compassion, Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus is just showing us his mercy, his love, his compassion, but also speaking of his judgment. And one day we'll see that someday in our future. But Jesus, there's, there's something special about that name. What's, what's so special about Jesus. This Emmanuel, God with us, has given us this, this name. Well, the angel says it's because he would save his people from their sins. So, Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua. And it means Yahweh saves. And, and probably back in the first century, as they're talking, it, it was probably Joshua that they used or a version of it. But for our sake, it's, the Bible's written in the Greek, so they used Jesus. And so the idea there is he's trying to connect Israel. Hey, listen, pay attention here. Because this one Jesus, Yeshua, just like Joshua was used by God to take Israel who had been freed from their slavery to Egypt into the promised land, this earthly promised land that they currently, part of it anyways, that they live in today. Just like God used Joshua, God is going to use Jesus Christ to free us from our slavery to sin and open up for us the promised land, heaven, God's presence. Joshua just saved him, Moses, and then Joshua just saved him from earthly slavery. Jesus is going to save us from our spiritual slavery. He had to become man to do that. God had to become man Hebrews 1.3 says this. When Jesus had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, at the right hand of God in heaven. Purification for sins. But here, I thought you just said that he had no sins. So why is he dying and making purification for sins? It doesn't make any sense. Well, it does if you understand the purification for sins is our sin. Because how God is working this, he's saying, listen, I've put on flesh, God the Son's put on flesh, and so he can die in your place. So he goes to the cross, not for his sin, but for your sin and for my sin, to take our eternal judgment upon himself. I mean, you talk about a God of love and a God of compassion and a God of grace and a God of mercy No other man-made religion has ever had a God who's ever done anything like this. Just study out the world religions. World religions are all exactly the same. Nobody could come up with this idea. But God did. And so he becomes man to make purification for our sins. Here's how it says it later on in, in Hebrews, and I'm not sure if I mentioned it to you guys, but Um, Did I mention that men's Bible study we're going to be going through Hebrews? Did I say that in this service? I did in the last service. Anyways, we're going through Revelation. When we're done with that, we're going to keep on digging, getting deep, and we're going to go through Hebrews, which is an awesome, um, awesome letter. But anyways, it says this. Therefore, and again, he talked about previously this, the fact that Jesus is God. Therefore, he's able also to save, from what? Our sin and hell, forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So it's through Christ, not through us, but through Christ, and he always stands before God on our behalf as 100% God, 100% man. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. So here's the deal. Jesus is our high priest. There's no other priests for us. That's man-made religion. The Bible always says Jesus is our high priest then we become priests in the sense of representing him before others. But you guys don't come to me to confess your sin. I mean, I care about it, and I'll hold you accountable just as you hold me accountable. But we go, to, we go right to God through Christ. Anyways, he's holy, he's innocent, he's undefiled, he's separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifice First, for his own sins. Why? Because he didn't have any. (laughs) And then for the sins of the people. Because this, his sacrificing for the sins of the people, he did once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus is God. Therefore, he's infinitely powerful to be able to do this. He's also human. So, he's able to take our place, to stand in our stead. To be there before God. And as God looks at us, those who have a place of faith in Him, He sees Christ and what Christ has done for us. So we get in, if you want to put it that way, by Christ. So let me just ask you how do you view God? Do you view Him as someone who's unapproachable? Do you you see him and just see all of your sin and all the stuff you've messed up in your life and just wondering how in the world he could even want you? Is that what you see? So therefore he's unapproachable? Can I just encourage you this morning that God is approachable? So approachable, he's made it possible. He himself has made it possible for you to have a relationship with him. And it just means you humbling yourself and realizing that I can't save myself, only God can remove the sin, the sin that's keeping him from being approachable. And I always make it as simple as possible because I'm not a very bright person. And so I try to make it as simple as possible. And so around here we say it's like the ABCs. And so it's A, it's just admitting. Admitting that you're a sinner. We've all done it. We've all sinned. So you're not special. (laughs) We've all sinned. Just some of us have had that removed by God. And so admitting that and saying, I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you, God. And then believing. And it's not just having a mental knowledge, but it's a heart level knowledge that says that, that I'm going to entrust my spiritual well-being into what God says. God says that Jesus died for me, for my sins, and will remove my sins if I ask him to, through Christ. And so it's believing that putting your full weight of trust that what God says Jesus Christ did for you, he in fact did. And that's confessing that. And confessing is just having a conversation with God, just you you talking to God, your heart to God's heart. It's not weird, spooky. I mean, we all pray anyways, right? And this is one he's going to hear because this is one that says, hey, I need you. Let's go ahead and just close your eyes. Again, because this is an awesome gift and because this is something that if you're here this morning and you're looking at God as someone who's unapproachable, then, man, you need to nail this today. You need to have that unapproachable sense gone and understand that God's an approachable God. He wants to be in a relationship with you personally. Let him remove that sin. Let him start that relationship with you that's going to last for an eternity. So just have this conversation with him. Again, this prayer doesn't save you. I'm just giving you the words. But just have a conversation with God and say, listen, God, I know that I've sinned against you and that without you, I'm destined for an eternity in hell. I'll be separated forever. But I also now know and I believe I'm putting my full weight of trust in what you say that Jesus died for me. Would you please forgive me of my sin?" Thank you for saving me. Now, if you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer today, right now in this service, would you just slip your hand up? Let me just know that you've done that. I'd love to be able to pray for you. you. know this is something you've done in the past. You don't need to do this again. It's just today. If you haven't done it in the past, but you've today. If you've done it in the past, you've already saved. Praise God. You don't need to do that anymore. You're spiritually reborn. You've been given spiritual life. I'm talking about today. So if you just prayed it today, if you just raise your hand, let me know. saw one hand earlier. Anybody else? I don't want to... have to get up kind of high because I don't have good eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you for the... Uh, The gift that you've given us. The gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I thank you for the hand that I saw of one who, I pray, truly believed that and and prayed that. I pray your Holy Spirit, as your word says, will confirm in their heart that they've done it. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for allowing us to be able to approach you and be in in a relationship with you things in christ's name amen let me just close this one more thing and as for those of us who have placed our faith you want to go back to the last slide there those who have placed your your faith in christ already then we have a responsibility and as we need to leave that truth out we need to live it show others give the gift to others and a great way to do that is we make it easy on you put the put all the stress on me um and that is just invite them. we got some new invite cards. Invite them to the service with you this week. Um, come to one on your own, and then come one to one where you invited people. And then afterwards, just take them out for coffee, or over to your house for dessert, and just talk about the service and what was said and sung about and, and see if, if they need the, themselves to place their faith in Christ. All right, let's go ahead and stand, and you can be dismissed. Have a great time. Hopefully we'll see you sometime this week at one of the services.